Have you ever praised God for the wrong reason? And you look back and your motive wasn't exactly right. The question is, what did God think of that? Well, I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke that describes Palm Sunday. Here's what we read. As Jesus rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, they didn't like this, they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And here was Jesus' response. I tell you that if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus upon all those who hear these words and upon my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And may this be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello everybody. On this Palm Sunday, I greet you in the name of our risen Lord. It's good to be there, and I hope one day that we can actually be there and see you face to face. Well, I want to talk to you about a particular event, Palm Sunday, which is very, very important. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in what we call Holy Week, the period from Palm Sunday to Easter, do you know that the only event in Holy Week that is in all four Gospels is the account of Palm Sunday. For example, uh, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's in Matthew and it's in Mark, but not Luke or John. Or when Jesus said, uh, praying for those who crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Well, that's in the Gospel of Luke, but not in Matthew, Luke, or John. Or take John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus cried out, it is finished. You find that in John 19, 30, but not Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But when it comes to Palm Sunday, you should know it is in all four Gospels. Well, that tells me this is very, very important. And not only that, it is actually referred to in the Old Testament. We know that it's in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Behold, your king comes. It's in Psalm 118, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Well, I want us to see one aspect of this particular event, this Palm Sunday. Um, what do we know about it? Well, first of all, many people were there. Where did they come from? How did they know to be there? Why on this day? Well, we don't know all the answers, but almost certainly the crowds were there because just a day or two before, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And this got everybody interested. Many came to see Jesus. Many came to see 
Lazarus and his fame spread more than ever. So that when on this first day of the week, what we call Palm Sunday, they all gathered and they were so excited. And as I say, it was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. That must have made it very important. And it was seen by all those present. This is why it was so important to them. This was the moment in which Jesus was going to let them affirm him as king. Now, they had tried to do this before. You read in the Gospel of John, after Jesus uh, fed the multitude with the loaves and fishes. Well, they wanted to make him king then, but he wouldn't let them. He would not let them. But this time, he's going to let them. He's going to let them affirm his kingship. Behold, your king comes. And they were so excited. They were praising God again and again and again. And as I said, this was the moment. But for Jesus' followers, there was a different motive. And the interesting thing is, they were praising God because of what they thought Jesus was about to do. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus knew exactly what was on their minds. We read in John chapter 2, verses 23-24, Jesus did not commit himself because he knew what was in man. We must never forget this, that our Lord Jesus sees right through us. He knows our thoughts, he knows our motives, and he knew exactly why these people were praising him as they did. Now, it took place uh, fairly near the top of the Mount of Olives. We don't know ex the exact spot. I can tell you that we know a general area. Uh, you can go there today. Uh, some of you, no doubt, have been there. Uh, I've been there many times. Uh, my friend Lyndon Bowring, uh, Alan Bell and I, year after year, for about 10 years, would make this pilgrimage, and we would congregate at near the spot where they brought the donkey, uh, today, you don't see a donkey, you'll see a camel and someone wanting to take your picture. Well, it's the same area. Well, as Alan and Lynn and I would go down the same exact path, we would often sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings. And you go all the way down until you come to a certain area. Now, we're not certain chronologically when Jesus said this, but we know that when he drew near and he saw the city often forgotten in the story that we have on Palm Sunday, it says he wept over the city saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Now, why was this? Why was this hidden from the very people that should have had the greatest blessing from this? Well, the answer is in John chapter 5, verse 44. You know, people will ask, how could the Jews have missed their Messiah? It is so obvious, but when we read, take for example, Isaiah 53, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Uh, he was despised and rejected of men. It's so obvious to us that this describes Jesus hundreds of years before the event. How did they miss him? Well, I have to tell you, for the same reason you and I could miss what God could be up to in our day. Because Jesus said to them, John 5, 44, he explains the reason they missed him. He asked them a question. How can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from the only God or God only? Well, these Pharisees should have known that the God of the Bible is a God of glory. They should have known that God wants us to please him and want his opinion. But the spirituality of Israel had degenerated to such a low estate that sadly, it did not cross their minds to want the honor that comes from God. They wanted the praise of one another. And I can tell you, this is scary. If you and I are not careful and we live for the praise of people, and we're looking over our shoulders and we're asking, what will they think? What if my friend hears that I'm affirming this? Or what if someone says, oh, how could he say that? And I worry about what people think. You know, I could do the same thing the Pharisees do, or I can make a choice to speak whenever I speak as though only God were listening. We call it for an audience of one. Well, Jesus said, to them. How can you believe? In other words, they can't. <laughs> Sadly, it was just not on their radar screen to want the honor from God alone. So he said, how can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? Well, you and I can make the exact same mistake. We don't need to make that mistake. Well, this is why Jesus actually wept over the city and said, would that you, even you had known on this day that things that make for peace, what will make for peace? It is when you want the honor of God. You prefer it to what people say. You want the praise of God. You want his approval. You live to please him. And that is where you get your joy. You know, we're told that Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. We read that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. What does that mean? That Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Well, I can tell you, he wasn't vindicated by the flesh. He wasn't vindicated by the disciples. He wasn't vindicated by the Jews, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they rejected him. And yet we're told he was vindicated by the Spirit. I can tell you what that means. He got his joy through the witness of the Holy Spirit that he was pleasing the Father. In fact, Jesus said, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. He said, I do those things that please him. And so he got his vindication from the Father. The voice came from heaven when he was baptized. This is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. We heard that voice again, or they did, when it was transfigured. This is my beloved son. Hear him. You see, this is how Jesus got his pleasure. This is where he got his joy. It didn't come because the disciples said, we believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, or we think you're the right one. And Jesus never uh, had to get his approval from any of the disciples. Can you imagine that, let's say, Jesus just finished his sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And after he's finished, he says to himself, I wonder if I did a good job. Uh, Peter, come here. Uh, you, you heard what I just said. Did I do okay? Uh, that part in the sermon where I said, uh, I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill. Was that okay? Can you imagine Jesus doing that? You see, he did not need anybody's approval. He got his joy from knowing the Father approved of him. Well, this is why he was able to do what he did. And we need to learn from this. I have sought, I haven't done it perfectly, I have to tell you now, I have sought for 60 years or more to let John 5.44 be my governing verse. And I don't say I've always come, come up to it. This is a pretty high standard. But this is what I wanted to do. And this is what Jesus actually did. And so he says on this day, these, this is the day that should bring you peace. And then he went on to say, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your vindication. One of the things we should learn about Palm Sunday is that Israel did not know the time of their visitation. And could it be that God has been speaking to you and you don't hear him? You can't believe because you're getting your joy from what people think. Well, that's a limited joy, and it displeases God. And we can be in great danger of missing what God may be doing in our day. One of my heroes is the great American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. And he taught us this, that the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving then move in that direction. Well, Jesus knew what the sovereign redeemer was doing in his day. He was fulfilling God's plan. And if we keep our eyes upon him and we want his glory, his pleasure, I don't think we will miss what God is in. You know, as I speak, we are in the beginning, I think it's the beginning of the coronavirus episode, this pandemic. Uh, we may be in the middle of it, we may be at the beginning, I, I suspect we're at the beginning, but the whole nation virtually is on lockdown. And here I am, instead of being with you in person, uh, I'm speaking from 
a little studio that we've made up. My son, T.R., has done this so we can have a little TV studio in our home. We live near Nashville, Tennessee, and, and that's what I'm doing today. And I'm giving this little talk on Palm Sunday and hoping that where God uses it, that I hope with you, this will be a blessing to you. And I want us to learn the lessons that the disciples should have learned. Now, it's very interesting. In the Gospel of John, uh, we have this word that at the time, John chapter 12, verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things. Now, this is referring to the event of Palm Sunday. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And by the way, if you wonder why they call it Palm Sunday, two reasons. It was the first day of the week, and in John's gospel, we're told they took branches of palm trees out and went out to meet him. That's why we call this Palm Sunday. Well, here they were praising God, and they were quoting scripture. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. Isn't that interesting? Donkey. A king? Why not on a horse? That should have been a hint right there. But anyway, they were so excited, and they were convinced that this was going to be the moment. Not only did Jesus allow them to affirm, his, affirm him as king, but he knew why they wanted to do it. You see, this event was seen as the moment that Jesus would announce his kingship, and virtually he was doing that, except that he had one thing in mind, they had something else in mind. And so this was the moment that the disciples, not just uh, the 12 disciples, but all those who came to see Lazarus after he was raised from the dead, and they came from all over. And they were so excited because they began to think, how long is it going to be before Jesus reveals his kingship? You see, it was referred to as the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus called it, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And they were okay with that term, but they thought, they thought it meant this would be the moment when God would overthrow Rome. This is what they lived for. They could not bear the sight of those Roman soldiers in their country. And they thought when they saw those soldiers, you're going to be out one day. They were looking forward to that moment. And this was it. This was the moment that Jesus was going to announce his kingship. And they thought, well, look, anybody that could raise Lazarus from the dead, anybody who could walk on water, anybody who could heal the blind, anybody who could stop a storm, this would be the easiest thing in the world for him just to overthrow Rome and deal with those soldiers and Pontius Pilate and any authority that contradicted his honor and glory. Jesus could have done that, and they knew it. Well, Jesus knew what they had in mind. You know, when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you, 
It doesn't come by observation. In other words, this is not physical. Uh, I'm not going to have a palace. I'm not going to sit on a throne that you can see. Uh, they could only think of kingship in those terms. Or they thought of King David or King Solomon. They thought of the days of Israel's glory. And they lived to see that again. And by the way, we who are praying for God to show up in power and reveal his glory, we must be very careful that we haven't got preconceived views as to what that's going to be like. And we all want to see this. We want to see the manifestation of his glory. But it just may be that what he has in mind won't be quite the same thing as what you and I want to see. Well, what was it they wanted? They wanted to see Jesus overthrow Rome, overthrow Caesar. And uh, so they used the right language. In fact, they said, Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? Salvation, or he saves. And they were using language of Zion, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But what did they mean by that? They meant salvation from the tyranny of Rome. That's what they meant. Now, when you and I read that today, we think of what God said to Joseph, Matthew 1, 21, that Jesus would save his people from their sins. We know now that he died on a cross. He was raised from the dead. And the way we are saved is not by our good works, but by what Jesus did for us on the cross. And by the way, this is the way you become a real follower of Jesus. You give up all hope, all hope in your good works, knowing that your good works at their best come short of what God requires. We can never come up to the standard God wants. But when we come to the point that we transfer all trope, uh, hope and trust in our good works and put all our eggs in to one basket, the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. That's how I know I will go to heaven. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Well, when we say Hosanna, we mean that Jesus is our Savior. Well, when they said Hosanna, they meant Jesus is going to save us from Rome. And here's the point. They were praising God. No question about that. They were thankful to God, but not for the right reason. They thought Jesus would fit in to their preconceived idea as to what Messiah would be like. And so uh, the same people who were there that day Oh, by the way, where were they several days later? Where were these same people on the following Friday? Do you know what we read in Matthew 25, 56? They all forsook him and fled. All those people that came to see Jesus who had raised Lazarus from the dead, where were they now? Where were the disciples? Where were the disciples of Jesus, the 12? And as for Simon Peter, who was almost certainly the most colorful of the disciples, Peter honestly thought 
that he was more devoted to Jesus than all the other disciples combined. In fact, when Jesus uh, started to wash Peter's feet, Peter said, you don't wash my feet. Well, Jesus said, if I don't, you have no part with me. Oh, said Peter, wash my hand, my hands, just go for it. He was trying to outdo the other disciples. And then Jesus, seeing right through Peter, said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What a word. Peter didn't believe it. He said, that's not possible. Do you know what? Jesus knew he would, and Peter did deny him. And the thing is, at the beginning of the week, they were all praising God. Let me ask you a question. Have you been praising God lately? For what? Are the things that you're most happy about, and you're praising God for those things? Well, just remember, no one was more excited than the people there on Palm Sunday. And they were thrilled to be there. <laughs> I'm sure you could hear their voices a mile away. Such praise. Well, Peter among them was so sure of his devotion to Christ. Well, I give this little talk today the title, Praising God for the Wrong Reasons. The question is, how serious is this? How does this make God feel? Well, they were praising Jesus because he was going to overthrow Rome. But as I said, Jesus knew this the whole time. And Jesus saw right through Peter. And by the way, he sees right through us. We may in that moment of devotion say, Lord, I love you. I worship you. I will never desert you. And we, we believe that, and we mean that. And Peter had no idea that he would deny the Lord. What's interesting to me is, uh, I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, but at the end of Matthew, uh, sorry, uh, John chapter 13, this is the way Peter put it. Uh, he said, I, will deny, I won't deny you, I will follow you to the end. And uh, Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. But then remember that in the original Greek, there were no chapters and verses. And if you keep that in mind and forget the chapter and verse, because John 14, 1 is a very famous word where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do you realize he was saying that to Peter? Listen, he said, Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say unto you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Wow. Jesus knew exactly what Peter would do. He doesn't say, I know you're going to die, deny me. I don't believe you. I don't take what you say seriously because I know good and well that before morning you're going to deny me. But no, that isn't what he said. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And as a matter of fact, it, he's addressing all the disciples. They were there. They heard it all. And it's in the plural. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
Isn't it wonderful to know that we're loved with an everlasting love? And even though the Lord knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And God loves us just the same. Knowing what we are going to end up doing. Well, uh, the point is, God affirmed their praise. In fact, this is the way it is put. Uh, when the disciples uh, were praising God like they were, and the, the Pharisees were so upset. I mean, they were so upset. And they said, Lord, uh, re or they didn't call him Lord. They just said, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. And you know what Jesus said? I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That tells you right there that God affirmed their praise even though it was for the wrong reason. God loves our praise. He knows our hearts. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God knows this, and he loves us. He knows that we are frail. He knows that we are so easily tempted. And Jesus knew this about Peter. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, I know what you're going to do. You're not my real friend. No. He said, you will deny me. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And so the point is, God affirms our praise. And we may not like the way another person praises God. I have to tell you, one day I was in a service where I wasn't particularly enjoying the worship. Now, I won't try to describe it, but I just didn't like it. And I felt myself almost self-righteous about it. And then I heard these words, they're praising me. And I was smitten. It reminded me of a story of a friend of mine who was uh, in an aquarium in South Africa. And he tells a story, he saw this fish. He said, I never saw such an ugly fish in all my life. And as I looked at that fish, I said, Lord, why did you make a fish so ugly? And he said, the Lord replied, I didn't make him for you. It goes to show we may not like the way another person worships, but God looks on the heart. And these people on Palm Sunday, truly, they worship God for the wrong reason, but Jesus affirmed them and said, if they didn't praise me, the rocks would fall, would, would cry out. And here's something else I think equally interesting, if not more interesting. We read in Matthew 21 that we're told that the children who were crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, annoyed people. Children doing this. Look, people, what can children know? The children in the middle of all this saying Hosanna, what could they know? Well, you know what? Jesus said, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said, have you never read that out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? He even affirmed the praise of children. They couldn't have had a theological mind to know what was going on, but he affirmed their praise. 
and so with us. There are times that we thank God for things that maybe they are things that we don't need or things very precious to us and we get a lot of joy over thanking the Lord. He accepts our praise. What we know is that though they praised God for the wrong reason, God affirmed praise. I can tell you something. It is always right to praise God. It is always right to be thankful to God. You can never outthank the Lord because he's going to bless you. You can never outpraise the Lord. And so we must keep on praising God knowing that he knows our motives. He knows them backwards and forwards. He knows our hearts. But he loves us. He's touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. Well, by the way, even after Jesus was crucified, the disciples who saw him die, they didn't know why he died. And then three days later, raised from the dead, they saw him alive. They still didn't know why he died, why he was raised from the dead. In Acts chapter one, verse six, before Jesus ascended, they wanted to know, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, that was what was on their mind the whole time. That's why they were praising God. And they couldn't understand how this could happen. And Jesus wouldn't even answer their question. He said, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. And there are so many things that we'd like to know the answer. But here's one thing you can know for sure. God will affirm your praise. The devil hates it when you praise the Lord. One way to know how to please God, find out what you think the devil would want you to do and do the opposite and you will get it right. And by the way, I must ask you this question before I close. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If what comes to your mind is that I've tried to be good, I've tried to do this, I've, I've tried to be faithful, if that is your thought, is that your thinking? I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. If it doesn't come to your mind to say because Jesus died for me on the cross, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. But you can put that right now. Just say this prayer to him if you can mean it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray that prayer and you may be assured of heaven, not because of how good you are, but because of the blood of Jesus. Just remember, God affirms our praise even if it isn't perfect.